Let's uh, bow together. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to be together, to be in your word, and I pray that you would bless our time, help us to understand exactly what you intended, and I pray we would respond, we would respond exactly as you desire. Bless our time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are a lot of ministries out there. If you... Uh, do a search on the internet for ministries, you're going to get like uh, 340 million, something like that. Um, and then if you put church ministries, because there are, you know, worldly ministries, church ministries, you get almost 90 million responses. There are a lot of ministries out there. And within those ministries, there are parachurch ministries, uh, church ministries, missionary ministries, TV ministries, radio ministries, and uh, some of them are obviously man-centered, but yet some of them are, are pretty good. Yet uh, my question would be, uh, are they biblical? Are they biblical? Now, it's my view that the current evangelical church has lost sight of what authentic, true ministry is, and that many a false teacher, false brethren, false Teaching has crept in unnoticed, well, we're starting to see it now, into these ministries. Yet I praise God that we've not been left in the dark concerning what ministry should look like. And at the core of ministry is what we would call the minister. Now today we're going to begin a look at what true ministry looks like. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Now, we know the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, the Colossians. He has not seen them. Uh, he has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love. He's heard that from Epaphras, yet he's also heard that there were threats, that there were those trying to persuade them with delu or, uh, delude them with persuasive arguments, that there were those trying to take them spiritually captive, to pull them away from Christ onto religious stuff, uh, stuff such as you can't do this, this, and this if you want to follow Christ. You've got to follow these rules, or you've got to treat yourself really badly, or you need the help of visions and angels, whatever it might be, these different things to help you in your walk with Christ. But Paul would say in the end of chapter 2, these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You see, our problem is... This, this is my problem. I still am in this flesh. I've been redeemed. My, my soul has been saved, but yet I'm still in this body of death. It's not glorified yet. My inside, I've been redeemed, but my flesh has not been redeemed yet. And I am tempted from within, and I'm tempted from without, and I'm tempted from Satan. And these false teachers will come along and give you a system to follow Jesus rather than recognizing the sufficiency of a right relationship with him and the sufficiency of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the simplicity of a devotion to him. And so in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul has addressed these threats dead on. He has started by sharing a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. He is the creator. Through him and from him came all things. And he did all things for himself. He is the, he is the Lord of the first creation, but he is also the beginning and start and the one who brought about his second creation, the church. He is the Lord of the church. He is the head of the church. 
And within that, we know that our great God brought about redemption for us. He brought about reconciliation, uh, that we would be presented holy and blameless uh, beyond reproach. Tremendous reality. We're going to be presented holy and blameless beyond reproach. He's going to finish the job that he has begun. But yet we are in these bodies and and right now we are in a time in which we are ministering and we are in church and we are ministering and we have ministers. And so how do we know if that ministry is biblical? Well, for the rest of chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul is going to share his credentials in a sense as a minister. He's going to reveal what true ministry looks like and what the focus of ministry is, which is Christ and how we are to ministry, minister. And then he's going to transition to chapter 2 to hit dead on the false teachers. So he's going to share first and foremost what it should look like by his example, and he's going to address the false teachers. And so we enter into that portion now, which brings us through the end of the book. So again, turn your Bibles to Colossians uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 and 25 today. But I want to read through all the way to the end because it is all together. Because as I mentioned, we're going to see, uh, as we'll see, we're going to see three specific things in this chapter to the end, but we're going to see, look at one very specifically today. Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You go, wait a second, that's confusing. Well, we'll look at that, don't worry. And we'll hopefully have an understanding of that. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And we'll barely get to that part, and that part will be, we'll emphasize that next time also. But I want to keep reading. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations and now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make it known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, that's the solution. Uh, Glory in Christ, right? Where he's taken us. That's the solution, focusing on Jesus, as we'll see. And we proclaim who? We proclaim him, that's Christ Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may, with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We're going to see what true, genuine ministry is like. Like I said, we are not left in the dark. These churches act as though they have a, a, a different script they're going by. They're going by a whole different paradigm of how they run ministry when we have the truth of God. And so you might say, well, I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not that. I'm never going to be that. Well, I understand that. But we need to see this and understand so that we don't get taken captive by the bad guys, so we can spot the good guys and make sure we're in biblical churches and biblical ministries and supporting those as such. So with this in mind, I believe we're going to see through the end of the chapter, three things, and we'll look at the first one today, but three things. First of all, that authentic ministry or true ministry, genuine ministry, you could say it that way, has God's men ministering, first thing. Secondly, authentic ministry preaches God's message. And third, authentic ministry uses God's method. 
It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? We can stop there. The reality is God has laid it forth for us. And so today we're going to take a look at God's ministers, Paul being the example. Paul being the example. We're going to see uh, that uh, uh, authentic mystery, ministry has God's men ministering. Now I want to back up a little bit from uh, our reading again. You might remember last week I didn't finish the very last phrase of verse 23. And we're going to look at that today because it goes into what we'll see today. Um, let's back up to verse 22. Yet he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you holy in him, before him, holy and blameless beyond approach. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. That means, hey, you're really a true believer, okay? Which was proclaimed under all creation, and the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And here we go. This is where we left off. And of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And then look, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In, the, in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Verse 25, Of this church I was made a minister. This is really important. Because we're going to see how one becomes a minister. Okay? How it is. Now, as we look at this, we have the end of 23, of which, speaking of the gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister. Then verse 25 of this church, I was made a minister. Now, in a moment, we'll get to the content of verse 24. Okay, we'll get to that. Don't worry. But I want to point out this first phrase. And we're going to make some global observations of our passage first, two of them, and then get into the specifics in verses 24 and 25. So this is really important. Twice the phrase, I was made a minister. Now, uh, I want to point out uh, that uh, this is in contrast, I believe, to the false guys that were trying to take them captive. I believe it's going it's it's to be a contrast between what we'll see in chapter 2. Now, I need to point out, I prefer at this point, uh, the New King James translation in verses 23 and 25, where they say, I became a minister. I became a minister, rather than I was made a minister. Now, we're going to see the NESB translates it that way because they're trying to support other scriptures which talk about being appointed, being made in a sense, okay? But it literally is, you'll see in your notes in the NESB, they put literally became or become. They'll put that in there. So what Paul is saying here, and this word become in Greek is translated ginomai, that's the Greek word, it speaks of becoming or coming into existence. Paul's saying, I came into existence as a minister in some manner, in some fashion. How did this happen? We need to know that because we have a lot of people who think they're just going to go ahead and go out and be a pastor, be whatever it might be, be a minister. I want to start a ministry, I want to do this and that. But we need to look at Paul's example. Another thing I want to point out here, which is really interesting, is that the word minister, uh, you know, if we take that by itself, you know, we understand that, right? Uh, Sally ministered to her grandmother. We understand. It kind of seems like the serving, right? Ministering. But when we get to church, we start to think of flowing robes and the minister who is untouchable. You know, the guy up front and all this stuff, right? Think of the minister. You know, it kind of elevates this this person out of uh, reach in a sense. 
But here, the word translated minister is simply diakonos. It means servant. It's the same word translated deacon. It means servant. The minister is simply a servant. A servant. Now, we are all servants, but the minister is a servant of Christ on behalf of the church to bring forth the word of God. Okay, that's what we're going to say. He's a servant. That's the service of ministry, as we're going to say. That's what we're going to say. So with that in mind, a minister is a servant. And now we are all servants in the body of Christ, but there are different giftings and different ministries or servings. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about differing ministries and gifts. Those same words, servants, servant trees. I don't know how to say it. Ministries, servant trees, whatever it might be. There are different ministries. There are different ministries. So Paul is going to speak here of this ministry of those who proclaim and bring forth the word of God. That's what he's going to talk about. And so if you want to think of ministry or ministers, we can recognize what they are, are those who are servants, servants bringing forth, like a servant would bring you a meal, bringing forth the word of God, serving you, serving the Lord. You see, that's what ministry means. It means serving. It means serving. So we have these ministries out there. The You have ministries like uh, R.C. Airplane Ministry. Wait a second. I like R.C. Airplanes, but that's not a ministry. They're not serving people the word of God. They're not doing that. What they're doing is having fun with R.C. Airplanes. That's great. Go do that. If believers want to get together and do that, that's great, but it's not a ministry. You can have some fellowship in that, but you're not serving in that, right? We're going to see. We serve within the giftings that God has given us. Given us. So, well, at this point, I think it's crucial to understand how Paul became a minister. He says, I became a minister. How did that happen? How did Paul become a minister? How did he become a servant? How did this happen? Well, it's crucial because there are so many self-proclaimed ministers in ministries, uh, so-called in the body of Christ, and there are very few who are truly, I believe, gifted and called by God to do it. And I believe there's a few that are, that are disobedient, that aren't doing it. Well, the answer is crucial here. Indeed, uh, some people see ministry as a choice. I'm going to be a pastor, or I could be a truck driver, or I could be a seminary professor or a preacher. People choose then to study as if they would in a career and step forward in that. But I posit to you, unless God has drawn them, called them, and gifted them to serve as a pastor, preacher, or teacher, they are not truly ministers, okay? They're ministering on their own terms, and that's why churches are so messed up. You've got rebel ministers all throughout churches these days. And since they're ministering on their own terms, they minister their own way. Whatever works. So how was Paul called to ministry? Did he decide one day it would be great to be a pastor? I need to go get training. Did he decide, I'm going to be a minister. I'm going to become a minister. Paul's walking, I'm going to become a minister. Let me go get trained for that. Well, how did it happen? Let's take a look. Acts 26. We see how Paul became a minister. He got saved. He got saved, and God called him very specifically to it, and he made him minister. Paul didn't make himself minister. Paul was out killing Christians or, or raising his, his, his hand to it. 
He was chasing them around. He was doing very evil things towards the body of Christ. Acts 26. Now, I'm not going to read the whole portion here, because you can read it from verse 1. But Paul is before Agrippa. He's giving his testimony. I'm going to go down to verse 11. He's already talked about punishing, you know, and, and addressing Christians, uh, running after them. Verse 11, and I punish them as often, often in the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Well, he was preparing for ministry, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. He was against Christ. While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now notice, Jesus is going to call him. He's going to save him and call him. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to what? To appoint you a minister. I've saved you to appoint you a minister. Jesus is appointing a minister. Paul didn't make the decision. Paul didn't decide, or Saul didn't decide, I'm going to be a minister. He was on his way killing or putting his hand up for the death of Christians, persecuting them, and Jesus intervened and saved him. And he says, I've appeared to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. He, God, Jesus is telling him where he's going. God's word tells us how we're to minister, by the way. Jesus is telling him very specifically. We don't have a choice to disobey that. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This is how Paul became a minister. That's how he became a minister. He got saved and God called him specifically unto that. Specifically. Now, we see Paul's entrance obviously was a sovereign choice of God, not of Paul's. Now, obviously, when we get saved, God gives us desires in which the gifting we have. And sometimes we can feel as though we're choosing it, but really, God gave us that desire and we're going that direction, okay? We can understand, we understand that. I'm going to parse words here. But we see the question really is, is whether we're going to obey the Lord or not in how he's gifted us. We're going to see that everyone's been gifted. Everyone's been given spiritual gifts. There are some who have been gifted as ministers. There are some who have been gifted as teachers and preachers. And the question is not, uh, did you choose to do it? The question is, will you obey the Lord? Will you obey the Lord? Now, we'll talk about the idea of compulsion and willingness later in a minute. So God, by his spirit, appoints people in positions that he desires, and he gifts them for such. God does that. Uh, isn't this what Paul said multiple times? Let me share some passages. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. You can jot this down. And for this reason, I was appointed an apostle. He says here, uh, excuse me, that was 1 Timothy 2, 7. Hold on to that one. 1 Corinthians 2, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. God appointed it. God gave that gifting. God did now, 1 Timothy 2.7, this is what Paul tells Timothy. 
And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He knew he was appointed. He knew God appointed him to do it. Second Timothy 1.10, but now has been revealed by the appearing this is speaking of uh, Christ who gave himself a ransom and that now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death, 2 Timothy 1.10, and brought to life and, excuse me, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed, Paul says, a preacher and an apostle teacher. Now I believe these, these, these terms being appointed or made in a sense is why the, new, the NASB translated it made. But back in our passage, it's became. I became a minister. I came into existence, in a sense, as a minister. And that happened, we know, when Paul was saved. You see, we see in 1 Corinthians 12 that God, by his Spirit, gives different giftings according to his will, not ours. Same thing in the human sphere. When we were born, we didn't say, hmm, Lord, I'd really like to be a really good piano player. Can you give me that skill? Oh, I'd really like to be good at computers. Can you do that? Oh, I'd like to be good mechanically speaking. God did without our say-so. He made every human being have different skills and abilities. And with the body of Christ, when we were born again, we were given spiritual gifts, but we don't tell him what we want. He tells us through his word what he has done. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, Paul is, is correcting the Corinthians who are all messed up. They're actually getting into idolatry with spiritual gifts. He reproves them. He says, hey, when you were, you know, before you were saved, you were led, but you were led by dumb idols. He talks about that, you know, stuff like that. And, and he goes on to repute, reprove them. Now, his reproving them is basically saying what you think is spiritual isn't spiritual. Because it's, it's, it's all mixed up and divided up. Here's the reality. 1 Corinthians 12.4 Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries, that's our word, servants, servings, servings, there you go. A variety of servings. Um, and the same Lord. And there are a variety of different variety of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Remember that. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another effective miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinction of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one just as he wills. You do not choose to be a minister. God chooses you to do what he wants you to do. He chooses you. Paul was not wanting to be a minister in the church. He was wanting to kill people in the church. And God saved him and chose him and made him become a minister. Now we all have received gifts. First uh, Peter four ten. As each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We each have been given different giftings. Different giftings. So then, Paul understood that God made him the minister. God did it. He knew that God had thus gifted him as such. Also, by the way, 
You see, if God makes you something, he's going to give you the ability by his grace to do it. These are grace gifts. He understood that. Again, let's take a look at the parallel passage that we read during our uh, offertory time. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if you have indeed heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given me for you. Okay, got that right? Go to verse 7. Of which I was, the gospel, it says, of which I was made a minister, or the same word actually became a minister there. That's actually what it is. Um, according to what? The gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. God gifted him by his grace to be a minister. To be a minister. That's what he's saying. By his power. To the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Grace was given. God gives us gifts by his grace, and it's by his grace we function. It's by his grace we function. So Paul understood that, and God called the apostle Paul into ministry by his power and grace and gifted him as such. The apostle Paul understood and obeyed. And he also knew there was a, as we'll see, a stewardship, which means responsibility and an accounting, by the way. Now that means that, you know, you, you probably better do it, right? And he's going to say, hey, I'm under compulsion. But he's going to say, but hey, if I, but if I do it willingly, I get a reward. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You see, you might know God's gift and you go, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And you may be under compulsion. Yes, you better do it. But how much better is it if you do it willingly? There's a great reward for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of because I'm under compulsion. It's like, these, I, I have to. God made me a minister to preach the gospel, and I better do it. So how can I boast in that? How can I boast in that? He says, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm in deep trouble. I'm in deep trouble. For if I do this voluntarily, now look at this, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. You see, we have a stewardship, those who are called uh, to preach and teach. And everyone has a stewardship of the gifting that God's given. Now you can do it out of compulsion or you can serve him willingly and be rewarded, right? Okay, so then, Paul had a stewardship, and every one of us does, and we are compelled to obey God, but yet, if we do it voluntarily, we're going to have great joy. We're going to have great joy. So then, let me ask you this. Do you know how God has gifted you? Uh, Has he gifted you to preach and teach to minister? We all know we've been given gifts. And I believe if sin is not in the way, if we're walking by the Spirit, we're going to know how God has gifted us. The Bible shares 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4 shares. There are speaking and serving gifts. And I believe we're going to understand. It's good. We're going to have a desire in that. We're going to understand how God has gifted us. The question is, will we be obedient and serve him willingly? Now, if sin's in the way, you're not going to know how God's gifted you. Sin's in the way. You're not going to know. But if you're walking in the Spirit, he's going to work through you. He's going to enable you to serve him.
So true ministers understand that God has gifted them. It is totally the Lord that God has called them, and they are under compulsion, but yet they do it willingly and voluntarily, as we see for the reward, those who are abiding in Christ, we see. So then we think of biblical ministry. Uh, first of all, it consists of those who have been called to minister, and they know it, and they're obedient to it. There aren't people who just got just decided, hey, I'm going to go be a pastor. Hey, a pastor said, you make a good pastor, why don't you do that? Oh, sounds good, I'll do it. I look at some of these churches, and they got 50 pastors. I'm like, man, that's a lot of pastors. That's a lot. It's hard to find people that have certain giftings. How'd they find these people? You know? Well, the reality is God is the one who makes us what we are, who calls us to how he wants us to serve us, serve him and each other. Authentic ministers understand who made them servants. Okay? Then there's no room to boast. There's no pride because it's all God's grace. It's all God's grace. Okay, now let me make one more global observation of our passage, then we'll get to the two specifics and finish up. Notice God's ministers serve the body of Christ. This is how you can spot the right ones. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, that's the Colossians, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, that's the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God from God bestowed for me for your benefit. I'm emphasizing those words that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Did you notice those two little phrases on behalf of his body, middle of 24, and for your benefit, middle of 25. Paul understood his calling as a minister was for the body of Christ. The body of Christ. He says, of this church, I was made a minister. He didn't say of the world. He didn't say of the parachurch organization, I was made a minister. He said, of this church, I was made a minister, made a servant for your benefit, for your benefit. Now, we saw earlier in our study what the church was. It's the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18, he is also the head of the body of the church. Christ is the head. We are the body of Christ. It's like the physical example of our physical body is, a, is an example of the spiritual body. Christ is the head. We are the parts. So he directs all the parts to do what they're supposed to do. My hand does certain things that my feet don't do. My eyes do certain things. My, my mouth does not do. Different pieces do different parts, but all at the direction and submission to the head. The same thing in the body of Christ. We have different giftings, but Christ is the head. Now, the term church means called out ones. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And it is his church which he bought with his own blood, Acts chapter 20. And we know that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. We are the body of Christ. We are his body, the body of Christ. Paul makes that clear in our passage. It says his body, which is the church, which is the church. Paul makes this clear also in Ephesians 1.22 or 23, which he says all things to the church, which is his body, Christ's body. 
Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So the church is the body of Christ, and God has not left us out in dark concerning that. So how did we become part of the body of Christ? When we believed in Jesus Christ by faith, we were placed into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were placed into one body. We were made to drink of one Spirit. And it is by faith that this happened. Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ Jesus, clothed yourself with Christ. The term baptized means to be placed into, identified with. And when we do a water baptism, we're doing an outward symbol of what happened spiritually, what happened inwardly. We were placed into the body of Christ. We were dead and raised to newness of life. We were cleansed of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we were united to Christ. The church is a living organism. It is the body of Christ. It is believers. He says, I was made a minister for his body, for the church. God's ministers minister to the body of Christ. They don't minister to non-believers. If you have a minister that's spending their time ministering to non-believers in the church, they are not God's ministers. We share the gospel if perhaps a non-believer comes in. We get built up in here and we go into the world. We are the light of the inside of the church. No, the light of the world. We're the light of the world. So biblical ministry is done by ministers called and gifted by God who do ministry in the sphere of the church. So if you want to know if your pastor, your ministers are biblical, they need to be doing those things, right? Ministering the word of God to the body of Christ. If they're not ministering the word of God to the body of Christ, they're not God's men. They're not God's men. And if they're God's women, they shouldn't be teaching men, right? They should be they teaching women, right? Okay. So then we've seen that biblical ministry uh, is consists of God's ministers who've been called and gifted by him. Secondly, uh, that they minister to the church. And now notice Paul begins to share his attitude. You know, the ones that are the Lord's and are following the Lord have the right attitude because if you serve Jesus, you're going to suffer. If you obey Jesus in some sphere, you're going to suffer. Uh, the reality is if you want people to like you, then you need to go into the world and be worldly. Uh, the world is not going to like you. They're not gonna like you. They didn't like Christ. They crucified him. Okay? The reality is serving Christ brings suffering that is meant for Christ, that is meant for him. And that is an evidence of someone actually being God's minister when they are suffering with the, with the suffering that is meant for Jesus. That means they are functioning rightly in the body of Christ. Take a look at what Paul says here. Take a look at what Paul says. Now, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's kind of a convoluted statement there. There's a lot of different translations, but hopefully we'll gain some understanding. He says, right now... Now, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Okay, wow. That's, he said, the term sufferings is plural. It's not just suffering. He's got plural sufferings. And he rejoices in that. And he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Notice this. 
for your sake. You see, when you obey God and preach his word to his people, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. And the suffering is for your sake. Because I'm preaching to you, I'm going to suffer. Because I'm preaching, I'm going to suffer for your sake. And when we obey the Lord in the spheres he has called us to, we're going to suffer uh, in, for the sake of how he has gifted us in that context as we obey the Lord Jesus. So he says, I rejoice your sufferings for your sake. Now, what were his sufferings? Well, right at this point, he was in prison, by the way. Um, he was in prison. Colossians um, chapter 4, Paul says, verse 10, my f- fellow prisoner, Anastarchus, he's in prison. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for your sake. Uh Ephesians chapter 3.13, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. They are your glory. We know from uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11, he gives a list of those things which show him to be genuine. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.23, you can turn there, because you could translate this term minister also. It's servants, but it's minister, diakonos. 1 Corinthians 11.23, speaking of the false apostles, he says, are they ministers? Are they servants of Christ? He says, I speak as if insane. No, they're not. I, more so, in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, often in danger of death. And he goes, gives a list of all this stuff that he was suffering. And he suffered it because he was obeying Jesus, preaching his word for the sake of the body of Christ. You see, it's important that I preach the word to you for your sake, that you will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. If I don't do that, woe is me. Now, how you respond to that is different. But the reality is, Paul says, I'm, I rejoice in my suffering for the body. We know that it's not just the super saints like Paul that suffer, right? We have in um, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. People are going to persecute you. They're going to say all kinds of things falsely. They're going to mock you, whatever it is, when you do what's right. The world hates Jesus. And that's exactly what the Lord mentioned in John 15. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If if you're of the world, the world would love its own. Hey, you ever wonder why Joel Osteen has so many people in there? Because the world loves its own. It's a false teacher. Okay, he says here, uh, but because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. When you obey Jesus Christ, there's going to be temporal sufferings. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, we don't like it, but God is, we're going to see Paul had the right attitude. Because he understood what God was doing through that. We know from Philippians chapter 1 that it has been granted to us for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict with you saw in me and now here to be in me. Don't expect the world to love you. Don't compromise so that they will love you. Obey the Lord and walk rightly before him. And yes, the world may treat you badly, but maybe God might even use that to save them. I'm going to use that to say that. You can see that in 1 Peter 3. 
So then, if you desire to follow the Lord, you're going to suffer temporarily. You're going to be persecuted. We see that. Paul understood this, but yet he rejoiced. How could he rejoice? How could he be sitting in a prison cell rejoicing? How could this be? How could this be? Now, I need to mention one thing here, and I would be remiss if I didn't. This is a verse that the Catholic Church takes out of context to speak of suffering, uh, that Christ's suffering isn't done, that we participate in that and fill up in it, and we can get merit from that for salvation. Well, this is heretical, and I'll tell you why in a second. Okay, just so you know. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's affliction. That's what they take and twist, by the way. Now you're going, I do not understand this. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to walk through it really quickly. They believe that this verse signifies that the church, being his body, shares in the meritorious or redemptive sufferings. That when they suffer, then they help somehow in redemption. You know, they're all works, right? Well, we know we're saved by grace, not through works, right? But we know from Scripture that we cannot accept this interpretation. No believer can accept this. Because we know that Christ's meritorious suffering, the suffering for our sins, was accomplished on the cross. It is finished. He didn't say, it's not all done. You're going to have to fill up on it a little later. You can fill it up and get me all the way there. That's not what he says. He says, it is finished. It is finished. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we see that he, he offering the body once for all, having offered one sacrifice for sins for, for all time. Jesus died for our sins, done deal, it's done. So what is he talking about this here? What Paul is saying, I believe, is he is saying these afflictions, he doesn't say sufferings there, he says, I'm suffering, but it's I'm filling up Christ's afflictions. In Scripture, you will never see the term affliction used to speak of meritorious, redemptive suffering. It always speaks of temporal pressure, affliction. He's talking about the fact that when we obey the Lord, we receive suffering that was meant for Christ. We receive afflictions that was meant for him. We're, we're kind of filling up what, what he would have had if he was here now. It's, it's completing that. He, we are suffering for Jesus Christ. He says, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I like the New King James. I think they do a better job translating it. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh. He was suffering in the flesh, by the way. Uh, what was lacking Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. The term filling up as a unique Greek word. It's only used here. Ant anaplarao. Ant anaplarato. That's your great aunt, auntie, right? Ant anaplarato, which means completing what is lacking. Finishing up. The point is, Christ did suffer on this earth, certainly persecution, those things, afflictions. He was a man acquainted with grief, uh, sorrows, man of sorrows. But his meritorious suffering, he did completely on the cross for us. But on the earth, what he did, his body now is experiencing and completing that and filling that up in a sense, bringing that to completion. Remember Jesus said, you know, it's good that I go is you'll be able to do more in a sense. His body is able to go out in the context of the body of Christ rather than him himself there at the time when he came because his purpose was to die for our sins and to bring salvation. So Paul is saying here 
He's not sharing in redemptive sufferings like the Catholics heretically say. He's saying he's receiving persecutions intended for Christ. He's following in the footsteps of Christ. That's one of the reasons you can rejoice. Because you know you're receiving what was intended for him. You're not receiving it because you're a jerk or something. You're receiving it because you're obeying Jesus Christ. Indeed, um, we know that we were called for this purpose. 1 Peter 2.21 Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. Very clear there. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 15, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. A slave is not greater than his master, right? Matthew 5:11. blessed are you when men cast insults and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. So then what's the point? Believers who suffer for Christ by serving his body will receive afflictions that are meant for Christ. That's what it's going to say. And Paul says that's how he can say, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. This is an important point to grasp. When we suffer, we are suffering because we are identified with Christ and his word. Okay. So how could he rejoice then? Suffering is no good. I think being in prison is good. I don't think it's very good. You think being beaten is good? I don't think that's very good. You think those things are, 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 are good? Well, they're not good enough of themselves, but God turns them good. But Paul understood, first of all, whom he was suffering for, for Christ. And secondly, he rested in the true knowledge concerning his suffering. You see, Scripture is really clear, and I read this just briefly in Matthew, but let's go there, Matthew. You see, if we suffer for him, there is great reward. There is great eternal glory. If you understand the eternal significance of being privileged to suffer for Jesus in obedience to him, then you can rejoice in that because of what it does for him. It will glorify him forever and it will bring glory Matthew 5:10 Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely because you're a loudmouth Christian jerk? No, because he says here on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great and you're right on track. For so they persecuted the prophets here before. You're right in track. You're right where you should be. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, it's, we can't, it's hard to rejoice in advance to those things, right? But when we're in them, if we're abiding in Christ, we can rejoice. And Paul rejoiced. Now, certainly we all have trials, and we are to count them as joy, right? We all have difficulties, and we're to, to, to you know, certainly we mourn, but we need to, and we pray, you know, when we're having difficulties, but we should rejoice. But here, when we are suffering for obeying Christ, rejoice, rejoice. We see in Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul gives a, a discourse of how he's been per- afflicted every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not strained. He gives a discourse of all the suffering he's going through. He says, always carrying out in the body the dying of Jesus. And then he says, at the very end of this, he says, For all things are for your sake. He's saying, hey, I know my suffering is for your sake. He says, uh, that which is the grace which is spreading will cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, in suffering, because it's for your sake, it's benefiting you, 
and it's giving God glory and thanks. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. First, Second Corinthians 4, 16. We don't lose heart. But though the outer man's decaying, physically and suffering, by the way, the inner man's being, yet our inner man's being renewed day by day. For momentary, these are the scales, momentary light affliction, that's the word, ellipsis, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So these afflictions, which are really heavy, they're nothing compared to the glory that's going to be in eternity. Nothing. And he says here, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but things which are not seen are eternal. Paul's thinking eternally. That's how he can rejoice. When we think temporarily, we cannot rejoice. When we think eternally, we can rejoice. God's ministers think eternally. God's ministers rejoice. They understand what's happening when they suffer for sharing the word of God and obeying Christ. Acts chapter 5 uh, talks about the, the, the apostles. They were flogged in order not to speak of Jesus anymore. And so they went on their way from the president council rejoicing that they had, they'd been beat, they'd been hit with whips, right? Uh, rejoicing they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow, God is putting you in a place where he's allowing you to suffer for him? That's a pretty significant reality. Rejoice. Rejoice. Stop looking at it from the horizontal. Stop getting focused on yourself and start seeing that this will bring him great glory forever and ever, and it is for the benefit of those you are serving. Benefit you are serving. Do you see yourself as a servant of Christ? Are you suffering in your marriage because you're serving the Lord, you're obeying him? Rejoice. Are you suffering at work because you're doing your work hardly under the Lord? Rejoice. Are you afflicted, this pressure, uh, in the context of serving his body? Rejoice. Are you suffering because you're unwilling to compromise his word, preaching it, rather than entertaining people? Rejoice. God is with you. First Peter 4.12, Brethren, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. The degree you share his sufferings, not for being a jerk, not for your own failures. We all fail. We suffer for those. To the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, what does he say? Keep on rejoicing. Because this is a badge that shows that you're really his. You're his. The spirit of glory rests on you. He'll go on to say that. You know, when we first pastored in uh, Waterford, well, I did, with Hillary with me, um, we stood up for the truth. We were ridiculed, looked down upon, uh, from so much from angles we didn't expect. Ultimately lost a house, lost a job, entered into a great time of suffering for a long time. Yet, in the sorrow, we were joyful because we knew we were suffering for obeying Christ and proclaiming the word of God. We knew that. Are you suffering because you're serving Christ? Be encouraged. You are receiving the afflictions meant for Christ. He's considered you worthy to suffer for him. It's a very serious thing. Rejoice. Okay, so what does authentic ministers, what do the ministers look like? First of all, they know who made them a minister. They know and understand God did so by his gifting and calling. Secondly, they serve the body of Christ. 
And third, they see the suffering that comes for that serving. They see that suffering rightly, eternally, and rejoice in that. And lastly, we'll just barely touch on this this time because we're going to have to look at this. There's a lot to see here. And we'll have to really look at it next time. But let's just touch on the final portion here. Verse 25, we're going to see that God's ministers understand their responsibility to fully preach the word of God. This is where you really spot them. When they don't preach the word, they give you a 23-minute sermon every Sunday. You are not in a church that has God's minister. And that's all you get, a little bit of truth here and there. I'm sorry. Paul talks about fully preaching the word of God. Verse 25, of this church I was made a minister. Remember, I became a minister. Happened on the road to Damascus, right? According to to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your behalf or benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. He says, I was made a servant according to this stewardship. From God. The term stewardship in Greek, oikonomia, oikos, house, nemo, manager. It speaks of a steward, someone who's entrusted to the management of a house. Remember Joseph, he was in charge of Potiphar's house. He managed all the affairs of the household. He was a steward. He was a steward. He had a stewardship. And so Paul says he was given, that's what that word bestowed means, he was given a a stewardship from God for their benefit to fully preach the word of God. Again, we saw in Ephesians chapter 3, and I won't read this again, but that God by his grace brought him forth. And it was by his grace that he bestowed upon him uh, this ability to share his word. He says, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, Paul would say. God graciously gave him the gifting by his grace, and now he has a stewardship to fully preach the word of God. A stewardship. You see, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Now, he talked about compulsion. Hey, whoa, if I don't do it. He knew his stewardship, right? If you're a steward of a house, whoa, if you don't take the trash out, right? If you're a steward of whatever you're supposed to do, whoa, if you don't do it, right? You're going to get in trouble. But if you do it voluntarily, there's a great reward. It's a great reward. Let me share a couple passages to finish up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I mentioned this earlier. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Verse 16. For I'm under compulsion. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And then one that's really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is really important. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ or ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's God's word. In this case, moreover, it is what? Required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or literally faithful. If God has given you a stewardship to preach his word, you better be faithful. You better share his word. You better preach it in season and out of season. You better obey the Lord. You better abide in him by his grace. You better do so. You better do so. That's how you can spot who God's ministers are. They know they have a stewardship, and therefore they understand that stewardship is to fully proclaim the word of God. That's true ministry with true ministers. And we'll look at that next time more more in depth. More in depth. So then, 
Do we understand what God's ministers look like? I think we have a better picture. And this will protect us when we go into, in our choosing of churches, who we place ourselves voluntarily under to be ministered to. It'll protect us. It'll protect us. But lastly, one thing, each one of us has been given a gift. We've been given a gift. First Peter chapter 4, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. Stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let them speak as though they're the oracles of God. You better speak the word of God. If you serve, serve by the strength God supplies. You better serve by his strength. So that in all things, God is glorified through Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this. How are you doing in your stewardship? How are you doing in that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you so much for Paul's example of a godly minister. And Lord, may those who have been called to as such be as Paul by your grace and mercy. May we obey you, Lord God. Uh, may we see suffering rightly. Uh, may we... Um, fully proclaim your word, understanding our stewardship. And Lord, for those uh, who are not called to share your word, but called to serve you, Lord God, may they be faithful, Lord God. May they be faithful in serving you, not out of compulsion, Lord. They got to do that. Well, if they don't, but voluntarily, Lord God, so that you would be greatly glorified And as we do and will suffer for obeying you, may we all rejoice together so that you would be exalted in our response as we serve you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.